Hello and welcome to According to John. I just want to take the time today to say thank you for listening to this podcast. And I sure appreciate uh, your time and know that you're taking the time to listen to According to John. If this podcast has helped you, please like, share, subscribe, follow, uh, tell someone else about it. When you hit that like button, it lets the algorithms know uh, that you like it and it helps grow this podcast. So if you would do that, that would be fantastic and so appreciated. And today I hope you enjoy the podcast. God bless. God just wants me to remind you that he is seeking to save the lost. And who are the lost? I mean, let's, let's be real. Today, you know, there was a day when I said, hey, the lost are simply those that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And by definition in the scripture, that's 100% accurate. When Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost, and the lost is those, as we're going to find out, uh, that are, are headed for destruction and hell and uh, eternity without God. But as I'm looking around the world, I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if Christians aren't lost. Christians not adhering to the Word of God. Christians not believing the Word of God. Christians not, uh, they're like, hey, I know what the Bible says, and then that but that either you say or that is in your mind, that pause, what you say is, I know what the Bible says, but, but I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. And what I'm seeing happen, and, and uh, the reason I guess that I'm preaching this today is last week I had a conversation with someone with this whole uh, uh, will Leah Thomas, and Will is his real name. Uh, Leah is his choice name, um, who was in the swimming competition with uh, women. And God really impressed upon me to do a podcast um, on Christians that are walking away from the faith. And I titled it Swimming Against the Current. And some of you have listened to it. Thank you. Some of you uh, hopefully will listen to it. And or all of you will hopefully will listen to it. And then um, you'll see through Scripture where God stands in all of that. 2 Timothy 2, 5. As I'm, as I'm looking at this, I, uh, and as God was moving me, um, He gives me this verse. Amen, and thank you, Lord, for me remembering it, right? And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Uh, amazing verses for everything, isn't there? Amen. And as I was looking at it, I thought, he, he's disqualified. He did not compete according to the rules because he is a he, he is not a she, and it doesn't matter what he decides, he is still a he and never will be a she. And I can't say that again, so we'll move on. And then I started realizing, because I have friends that are Christians who have quit talking to me, because they agreed 
with he being a she and they think it's normal and they supported it and, uh, and then lashed out at me because I gave a verse that said he can't be a she and God does not approve of it and God does not approve of those who approve of it. And then the response was, uh, well, first uh, uh, her and her husband unfriended me and they were missionaries. They were, they, were, uh, uh, they were on the field for a while, and they're, they're Christians. And, and then they said that I was hiding my hate behind scriptures. And I, in, my, in my brain, I'm going, you're the problem. You're the problem. Because what we have is we have Christians who are now standing with the world and then making those Christians who stand with God look like hate and unaccepting and so on and so forth. And it gets real frustrating, right? And I said, listen, I understand your concern and your desire, but what you're doing is you're making it twice as hard to reach the lost twice as hard to reach your child because now you're arguing for them and you're arguing against God. And then anybody that argues with and for God, uh, we're looked at as bigots and hateful and uh, uncaring and so on and so forth. And now Christianity has this, uh, uh, you know, it gets this slam on it, right? Because, hey, let's face it, I want what I want. And that's all that matters is what I want. God, I don't care what you want. And so I give verses and, and to support my stand for God and that this behavior is wrong. And it's called gender dysphoria and, and, um, uh, and it's wrong. It's just wrong. So then as I went on and I thought, okay, Jesus is seeking to save the lost. And I'm afraid there's a lot of Christians that aren't Christians. I think they're lost. And I'm not attacking anyone. I'm not bashing anyone. And I'm not bashing Will Thomas. Uh, I, just, I just think his actions are wrong. I think they're sinful. I think he needs Jesus. Uh, as well as everyone needs Jesus. Amen. And not just, we don't just need Jesus for salvation. We need Jesus for our everyday walk. We, we just do. And the minute we let go of Jesus, um, we're going to be like Paul. Saul, before his name was changed. And in Luke 19.10, Jesus says this. And it's, sim it's quite simple. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In Luke 19.10, I want to show you something here. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And I didn't think much of this passage, right? Because I'm always thinking, seeking to save. He's coming to seek and to save. He's seeking and saving. And then I looked at the Word and I was like, because I'm a Word guy. I'm a little bit of a geek like that. And I went, which was lost. Does that mean everyone's saved? No. 
That means the truth is here. And you no longer have an excuse. The word was takes away any excuse we have for being lost. And look, but here's the thing. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And, and the reality is, is nobody's lost anymore because they have the truth. They have the truth, the Word of God. Now, you can remain lost by denying this truth, but you have no excuse. Nobody has an excuse anymore. The very fact that Jesus came took away your excuse or your reason for being lost. And I was just kind of stunned by that for a second, right? The word was lost because here's what we know. We know, uh, we know not everyone's going to heaven. And it's not because they didn't have the opportunity. It's because they chose to go their own way rather than the way of Jesus. Right? They chose to believe in their own deliverance rather than the deliverance of Christ. And so when we see this word was, it simply is because you now have the truth and you have no excuse. And that's tough, guys, right? because we always want forgiveness. Amen? How many here always want forgiveness, just out of curiosity? The rest of you are just liars, man. Come on. If you're not, I'm just. We do. We want forgiveness. And it's crazy because we always want it, but we're not always willing to give it. But the amazing thing is with Christ, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He is willing to always give forgiveness if you're true in your heart, repenting and asking for it. And so he's seeking to save the lost. But the problem that I've found is most people, most people are zealots, right? I mean, we are, we're zealots. Um, most people are zealots thinking that they are good enough. Well, I'm a good person. I'm good. My intentions are good anyway. God loves me because, well, I mean, look at me. <laughs> I tried to do that with a straight face, right? <laughs> but, but isn't that, it's like, well, who wouldn't love me? I'm lovable. And look, let me, let me help you. I haven't killed anyone. Right, that's what most people's reasoning for going to heaven is. I'm a good person. I haven't killed anyone. But I want you to see that Paul felt the same way in Philippians 3, 4 through 6. Philippians 3, 4 through 6. Though as I also might have confidence in the flesh. In other words, he was like, look, I knew who I was. I was the man. I mean, he was short in stature. Some of you can understand that. And so, but he's like, I'm the leader of an army, and I'm going to take out Christians, and I'm going to clean this up, and I'm going to do it for the glory of God because these Christians are the problem. And so he says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I have more, or had more. And then he takes us back 
to what he used to be before Christ. See, and that's the thing. When Jesus gets in your life, you change. And if you don't change, then you didn't get Jesus in your life. I mean, that's just a fact. You know, my, uh, I got a friend of mine who, uh, he's an evangelist. His name's Jamie Regal. And he used to always say, if you are what you were, then you ain't. If you are what you were, then you ain't. And I want you to know today, there's good news. Jesus came to save you. And you might have the mentality that Paul has here. He's like, if anyone thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And then in verse 5, circumcised in the eighth day, or circumcised the eighth day. Because he's like, what he's saying is, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews, man. I, every, listen, I was the man from birth. Never violated a law, never did anything wrong. I'm the man. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. I love the word stock, right? Like, mm, came from a good group. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Who's better than Benjamin's tribe? A Hebrew of Hebrews. In today's vernacular, that would be, I'm the man. Concerning the law of Pharisee, Pharisees, they were it, right? Look here, go on to verse 6. And then he says, concerning zeal, in other words, that passion that I had persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. I followed the law to the T. I was blameless. The problem is the law was showing him his guilt. The law was telling him he was wrong. The law was telling him he needed Jesus. The law was telling him he was lost. And then what we see through that is he gets saved and he goes from Saul to Paul and he wasn't or he isn't what he was. See, and I think that's the problem with Christians today, and I think that's the problem with soul winning today, and I think that's the problem with going out and sharing the gospel today, and I think that's the problem with, with just being alive unto Christ. Uh, for most Christians, is they've taken the title, but they haven't taken the source, being Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. See, Paul was like, I'm the man. I did everything right. I never violated the law. And I had position. But it was all for nothing. And I think Christians are like, I'm it. But you don't know Jesus. The mentality is that of Paul, of what he was. But after... Paul's salvation, he viewed everything that was of himself as rubbish. In Philippians 3.8. And he says, yet indeed I also count all things lost. All things. What's, what things? All the things he just, that I just read to you that he was talking about, how he was the man. All things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Anything compared to that is rubbish. And then he goes on, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. 
And, and I think that the problem is, for some Christians, or Christians, I use that term very loosely, they're counting the gospel as rubbish while they hold on to all things. And then wonder why their life's falling apart or wondering why there's issues. And Paul says, man, it's not me. It's not who I was. It's not what I was. That's rubbish. And it's not even anything I can gain from this moment on. That's all rubbish. Man, but if I can get the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, there is where it is. That's the answer. That's the answer to every problem. That's the answer to every issue of life. That, there it is. But for the lost, and I think even the saved anymore are starting to have the same mentality. They're allowing society to influence them. Maybe because you don't want to be hated. Maybe you just want to satisfy the flesh. Maybe you want to satisfy the desires. Maybe, maybe you're not saved. Maybe you are saved, but you don't care. I don't know, but there's a problem. Like There's these huge problems that we have in society today. And I will tell you, even Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15, so in, in Philippians 3.8, he calls himself, he says, look, everything compared to Christ is rubbish, man. But look at this. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he has this mentality that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus came into the world to save you and me. And then he says this, of whom I am chief. I am the chiefest of sinners. Guys, I'm going to tell you, if you are here and you think you're a Christian, but you're living like the world, you're no better than Paul. You're, you're the chiefest of sinners, and I'm the chiefest of sinners. That's why we need Jesus. And it isn't until we understand sin that we'll really value Christ. It isn't until we understand that hell is real and that we love our loved ones and we don't want them to go there. It isn't until we understand that that we'll become real with Christ, for Christ. It's crazy to me how we say, I love Jesus, but we'll be silent to the people or to the other people. Or you'll say, I love them, but you won't even share the gospel with them that they could go to heaven. That's insanity to me. I, I mean, seriously, that's insanity to me. That or you just don't love them. And, and the reason you're silent is because you love you more than them. And you go, Pastor, that's harsh. No, this is reality. This is truth. This is, this is something like we really got to deal with. It's in our face. People were dying every day. I don't know if you know, but in Israel, the death rate is up 1,000% right now. In Israel. And if you look, the death rate is up around the world. The death rate is up. And in some places, uh, um, 
or in Israel is a thousand percent, and I think in America it's up something like twenty-eight percent, thirty percent, somewhere around there. The death rate's up. People are dying. Seems to be they're dying at a faster pace than what's normal. You know what that tells me? You're not promised tomorrow. And neither is anyone else. We, we can't be silent. We have to have this attitude that I'm the chiefest of sinners, but because of Jesus Christ, I've been washed white as snow and I've been forgiven. And let me go tell you how that can happen so you can live in peace. So you can live in victory. Jesus says, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, and he says, the son of man. And that is the most common way of, that Jesus referred to himself. And that describes both his humanity and his deity. And what's interesting is when you, when you read this and, and how the verbs are translated seek and save, or, or the, the seek and the save and the lost, it's really interesting because uh, to save is to rescue from harm and deliver from danger. Now, now think about that. Jesus says, I have come to rescue you from harm and to deliver you from danger. That's why Jesus came. What harm and danger? Ultimately hell, amen? But he even delivers us here on this earth. Why wouldn't we want to share that with our loved ones? And why wouldn't we want to partake in that rather than self-destruct? And he says... I have come to rescue you from harm and to deliver you from danger. And then lost. Lost translates a form of the verb apolumi, which literally means to be ruined or destroyed. Jesus says, I have come to seek you out so that you will not be ruined and you will not be destroyed. Well, what will do that? Well, number one, Satan will do that to us. Life will do that to us. But ultimately, hell. Hell. Think about that just for a minute. Listen, he's like, I came so that you wouldn't be ruined. I took upon myself your sin and the world's sin. And I died on a cross, a horrible death, so that you wouldn't have to die a horrible death. I've come to rescue you from harm. I've come to rescue you so you wouldn't be ruined and you wouldn't be destroyed. It's interesting because sin has, a dev uh, uh, has devastated all of humanity. Leaving lost sinners marred, corrupted, evil, ruined, and headed for eternal damnation. And you go, Pastor, this is not encouraging at all. I know. It's real hard for me to get excited about this. It's real hard for me I know why most churches don't preach truth anymore. I get it. It's harsh in the world we live in today and it's hard. And you run the risk of not being liked. You run the risk of people turning you off. You run the risk of 
uh, people calling you hateful and a bigot and, and all this stuff. You run the risk of getting really nasty emails. You run the risk of getting nasty text messages and run the risk of getting nasty phone calls. And then you run the risk of being all by yourself. And hey, who wants that? Yet that's the world I live in. All the time. Why do I choose that? I don't. I choose Jesus. That just happens to come with it. And until we get there, our loved ones are going to die and go to hell. And until we get there, we're going to keep sabotaging our own life. And until we get there, we're never going to make the difference. And until we get there, we're going to stay what we were, which means we ain't. I want you to see that sin has devastated all of humanity. But, but let, me, let me throw this in there. It feels really good sometimes, amen? Let's be, how many think sin has some pretty good stuff going on with it? Yeah. Like Some of you are like, yeah, yeah I'm not pastor. That, you, you need to ask that question just a tad better. I'm not. <laughs> Listen, when I was living in it, it was good. Amen? Sin has its pleasures. Let's not kid ourselves. That's the reason we don't want to let it go. It's because it has its pleasures. But it's devastated all of humanity. Romans 3, 10 through 18. And we're going to read through this quickly for sake of time. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. It starts out so encouraging. Thank you, Paul. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb with their tongues. They have practiced deceit, the poison of aspis under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed the blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And I think that's where we are today, right? There's, there's no God before their eyes, no fear of God. And even for the Christian who's just deep, deep in sin, there's no fear of God. Like, we get so consumed with ourselves, we don't think of anything or anybody else. And therefore, there's no fear of God. And I think that when the fear of God diminishes or dissipates, Well, I think you get what we have in America today. A corrupt, vile society. Lawlessness abounding. The law is not keeping the law. That which was right is now wrong. That which was wrong is now right. Criminals being released from prison. Patriots getting put in prison. It's the insanity. But it's because there's no fear of God. And so if you sit there and you think you're okay, but you are living in sin, I'm telling you, you got this problem right here. No fear of God, and therefore sin is devastating your life. Ephesians 4.17 says this. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer, you should no longer, that means stop, just to help you out. 
that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles. And literally that word Gentiles references the world, right? You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. You should no longer walk in this sin like the world is walking in because it is futile. It will lead to nothing. It leads to a dead end. And listen, you might, the, the, the Bible says, the Bible says sin is a pleasure for a season. Summer is wonderful for a season. And then winter comes on. It's uncomfortable, it's cold, we've got to go through all these extra steps to keep ourselves protected. But ultimately, winter is harsh. Sin is harsh. And you may survive through it for a season. And you may not. And he says, listen, you should no longer walk as the rest of the world in the futility of their mind. It is going nowhere. Great pleasure today, but ultimately it's going nowhere. But God in his mercy, grace, and love sent Jesus Christ, right, to seek and to save those whose faith, uh, who face his wrath and judgment. Let me give you some good stuff now. Someone say amen. When a sinner seeks after God, Jeremiah 29, 13, and you will seek me and find me. See, God's like, I'm not hidden from you. I'm not running from you. You know, people are like, hey, yeah, man, listen, listen, I'm, I'm running after Jesus. Uh, let me help you out. Jesus isn't running. He's right there waiting. You're chasing after Jesus. He's not running. He's waiting. You seek me and find me. But there's a condition in this verse. When you search for me with all of your heart. In other words, it's got to be real. It's got to be real. I was talking to someone and they were telling me how they could look at the sports page and memorize all of it. Stats, winnings, losings, great players, sorry players, all of that stuff, right? It's like, man, I, whoo, there it is, done. I have got the mind for it. And then hand them another book. I don't know. What's the rest of the paper say? I don't know. And I said, you know why you can do that? Because that's your love. That's your passion. People are like, I can't read the Bible. It's because it's not your love. It's not your passion. But man, when it becomes, and you start seeking after God with all your heart, I promise you, your entire life will change. And it'll change for the better. And we keep saying, well, God told me. Uh, well, where's that in the scripture? Well, it's not. Well, then God didn't tell you. God never violates his word. He never goes against his word. So let me, let me help you here. If, if you are leaning heavy to do something that is contrary to Scripture, it's not of God. But yet people will convince themselves it is. Why? Because we want what we want and we're willing to do whatever it takes to make it happen. 
But when you seek with him with all your heart, you're going to find him. Amos 5, 4. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. Life is in Christ. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And if you go back to verse 25, don't. But if you were to, because you're taking notes of all this, I know you are, it's a wonderful sermon. And so when you go back to verse 25, you find out what all these things are, right? And it's all these promises that we, God will give us everything that we need in life. That's amazing, right? Because isn't that really what we want? And then Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some of you are struggling. I was just talking with someone earlier, and they were talking about how Satan is beating them up with guilt in their past. This is the only place you're going to find rest, is in Jesus. Satan wants to take you down. He wants to dominate you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to keep you from being saved. He wants to keep you in prison, spiritual prison, physical prison, mental prison, emotional prison. Listen, he just wants to keep you arrested so there's no freedom in Christ. But yet Jesus says that if you come to me, who? Everyone who has an issue. How many here have issues? Amen. There you go. I asked the right question that time. This is where your rest is. It's in Jesus. It's not in your sin. It's not in all your sports. It's not in all your hobbies. It's not in all your other desires. It's in Christ. It's it. It's only in Christ. Everything else will fade away. If you have a hobby that requires physical activity and you no longer can do that, that whatever it is physically because you've lost an ability, oh, that's gone. But you've still got to live. The only place you're going to find rest is in Jesus. And by the way, let me help you. This, this, this is the coolest part about this verse. It's a promise from a God who cannot lie. God called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Marvelous light. And we see this in 1 Peter 2.9. In 1 Peter 2.9 it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him jesus who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light please leave that right there just for a moment you're a chosen generation now i i get it he's talking to uh uh well technically he's talking to the saved that's who he's talking to anyone that is born again has been grafted into the tree and, and we're part of the generation then, if you will, right, of Abraham, uh, uh, Abraham's uh, promise. But look how he describes his children. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, look how he describes you. A chosen generation. Who chose you? God. A royal priesthood. I am a prince, just so you know. If you're in the family of God, you are a prince or a princess, man. You Listen, you are of royalty. 
of royalty. A holy nation. One of which God protects and takes care of. Look at this. His own special people. I was watching a video and it was of, uh, uh, of how, how some parents are just leaving their children for the riches of the world. And then how some uh, fathers have, and not that mothers don't, it just happened to be a video and uh, a, a show, and how dad made sacrifices so he wouldn't, because he wanted to be around to watch his children and grandchildren grow up. And I thought to myself, I even told Sherry, who would want to leave their children? Who would want to leave their grandchildren? Who, who would want to do that? In my brain, I couldn't even fathom it. And then the reason is, is because they are my own special people. And if me on the human level Love my children. Love my son-in-law, who's family. I give him a hard time. That ain't never going to stop. What? How can I even think of leaving them? And that's on a human level. Can you imagine on God's level? Can you imagine on God's level? Because I'm going to be honest with you, I, I really don't know that I would die for you. My family, yes. And I would love to say I would die for you. Some of you I'd think about. That's terrible. How many feel the same? Yeah, there's, the rest of you are like, Pastor, you know I ain't playing these games. But Jesus, every one of us are valuable to him. And if you're born again, he thinks you're worth dying for. His own special people that we can proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus shattered our state of death by making us alive. Look here in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Back up that one, please, just for a moment. And you, who are you? Anyone that believes unto Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You he made alive who were dead. Your, your lifestyle, your activities, your 
uh, uh, all those things that go against God, that's what made you dead. Then Christ comes into your life, and guess what? You're made alive. Forever and ever and ever. And you, He, Jesus, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Next verse, please. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The key to this one is, you once walked according to Satan and the world, which is Satan's. But we don't do that anymore. Why? Because we're saved. We're born again. You should be different. Look here in the next verse. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Guys, we had a problem with sin. And when you know Jesus, that problem should go away. And if you don't know Jesus, you got a big problem. And if you claim to know Jesus, but then you're living this lifestyle, you have a bigger problem. you got a bigger problem. See, the world can, on a slight technicality, get away with ignorance, right? Because the Scriptures say that this is all foolishness to them and they don't know. But the Christian, if you're a Christian, God says, I can hold you accountable. Why? Because you have been informed. You have been told. Hey, you remember that sermon? <laughs> I don't know. But we're, no, we're not innocent. Listen, it's one thing that, that you might have been ignorant of the Word of God before salvation, but once you're saved, you're no longer ignorant of the things of the world because even if you didn't hear it in a sermon, you got the Holy Spirit telling you, hey, stop. Or, behold. <laughs> For those of you who are new, everyone else got it. At any rate, Right? Behold, let me get your attention. This is why you don't do that anymore. You have the Holy Spirit guiding you and directing you. If you have no Holy Spirit guiding you and directing you, are you saved? Are you a child of God? And what's the value in that? Well, if you're not saved, then obviously you don't go to heaven. If you are saved, then you go to heaven. And if you're living in sin as a saved person, the day will come where the Lord's going he's, he's gonna to discipline you. And it's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly. And then what do we do? Why me? Lord, save me. And he's like, mm, man, I had enough of you. Go to your room. Right? But here's an interesting thing that I want to end on. And I need you to open your Bibles to John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, and I, I want to encourage you with this. John chapter 17, verse 1 Jesus starts praying. And, and in this whole chapter, he's praying. And it's really interesting of what his prayer is. And we're just going to read, so just hang on with me and read, because I have uh, uh, just a few minutes to get a whole chapter in, and I don't know that I've ever done that before. John 17, 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father... The hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. Now that, that prayer is for him. He's praying for himself. So what I want you to see is, uh, guys, we need to pray for ourselves. Amen? I know people are like, I can't pray for me. That ain't right. No, you're wrong. 
Jesus prays for himself. Jesus sets the example for us to follow. Pray for yourself. Amen. Verse 2. As you have given him authority over all flesh, being himself, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, the Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And he's like, I'm ready to, I'm, I'm ready to come home, Father. I've glorified you. I've done, my, I've done my part. I'm ready to come home. And then in verse 6, he switches. So 1 through 5, he's praying for himself. Now in 6, he starts praying for his disciples. Those who are with him right there. These are the 12 or those that are around him, that have followed him, that have been with him, that have been a part of his ministry. And he says, Father, look at this. Look at this. I want you to see in 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things, now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I pray for them. And you say, well, he's just praying for them. Well, hold on, I'm not done. I got really good news for you. It gets, it gets way better on a selfish note. Here we go. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Very specific. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for these disciples who have chosen to follow me at this day those that were there so so that we don't take this out of context amen verse 10 and all mine are yours and yours are mine and i am glorified in them now i am no longer in the world verse 11 but these are in the world and i come to you holy father Keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are. You know, if you are a Christian, stop attacking your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, stop standing with the world and attacking the Word of God. If you are born again, stop acting like you're not. If you're a child of the King's, Stop living like you're a homeless person. Stop. Stop. In verse 12, he says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. 
Don't take them out of the world. They got a job to do. Just keep them from Satan and keep Satan from them and protect them. I'm not, ask, I'm not praying for the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Why? Because the world needs us. The world needs us to tell them about this. How should they know except for someone preach? How should they know except for someone go and tell them? And if no one goes and tell them, we've got a lost, degenerate world, which is where we are today. Why? Because the Christians have been silent or fulfilling their own desires and throwing this aside with the answer of, well, God knows my heart. Yeah, your heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? You don't even know it. Well, only God can judge me. Rest assured. Rest assured that will happen. And if you justify your sin... I don't know that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you go, you can't say that. I can because there's no fruit. And the Bible says that if, if you are Christ, then I will be able to look at your life and see that you are Christ. And if I can't see it, then you're not. If you are what you were, then you ain't. Verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil ones. 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Guys, this isn't your home anymore. If you're a child of God's, this is not your residence. We are here for a short time to do what? To gather up the lost so that they could go to the kingdom of God. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. By your truth. Raise them up. Mature them. Grow them by your truth. What, and then he tells what the truth is. Your word is truth. So how should we be raised? With this, what should hold us accountable? This, what should teach us about God? This, what should teach us about man? This, what should teach us about us? This, what should teach us how we should act? This, what should teach us? This. That's what Jesus... I love the clarity in scriptures. The problem is, if we're not careful, our thinking and actions are fogged by sin. And then this isn't clear anymore. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even become acceptable. I know, I know, but Jesus knows my heart. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I sent them into the world. Why? Do you know why Jesus sent those disciples that day into the world and he prayed for them that day and he sent them out and he didn't, didn't take them out of the world but put them into the world so that you and I would be saved? So that you and I would know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? So that you and I wouldn't be under death and destruction, and hell wouldn't be our home. And Jesus prays for them so that you and I would have opportunity to have life and have life everlasting. But he didn't stop there. In verse 20, he goes on and he says this, I do not pray for these alone. Not, I'm not just praying for those who are around me right now, for my disciples that are right here. I'm not going to stop there. Look, at, look, what he do, look what he does. Verse 20. Jesus says, I do not pray 
for these alone. Now, I don't just pray for the disciples around me alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Do you know who Jesus prayed for there? Us. You and me. How cool is that? Look, he is praying for you and me. He didn't forget about us. He knew about us. He wanted us. He desired us. And so now he's praying for us right here. Personal for you and me. Look here. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Through the apostles' word, the disciples that, that, that day that were standing around here and that were going out into the world. Can you imagine if all of them were disobedient and lived their life like some of us are living our lives and told us about Jesus like they told, uh, like, uh, uh, living the life they're living, and where they went, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Shh. Can you imagine where we would be today? Hopeless. Verse 21 that they all may be one, that we come together as a family and we come together in unification over the Word of God, that we all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. This is our example. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. The world will not believe Jesus Christ came. The world will not believe that you can have salvation. The world will not believe that hell is real as long as you are living contrary to this. And claim to be a Christian. At best, you're a hypocrite. At best. Then he goes on in 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Man, look at this. The, listen, that, that the world might know that God loves you and I just like God loves Jesus or the Father loved Jesus, that the world would see it. But how can the world see what we don't show? But look at this, man. Jesus is like, I want the world to see that I love them the way you love me and you love them the way you love me. I want them to see it. And yet, we hide it. We hide it because, oh my goodness, Lord forbid, we, we offend someone. Jesus prayed for us just like he prayed for his disciples that moment, that day when they were around him. Think about that. 2,000 years removed from that day. 2,000 years removed from that day, Jesus prayed for us personally. Why are we so silent? Why, why are we living like there's no God? Why do we act like there's a God on Sunday and Monday through Saturday He doesn't exist? Why do we come into this building all holier than thou, not fighting and everything's grand and as soon as we get in the car, we pick up where we left off, driving in, driving out? Why is it we tell people one way to live and then we turn around and live the exact opposite? Well, I hope that that podcast was a blessing to you. And again, if you would, please like, share, subscribe, follow, and uh, tell a friend about it. And until next time, God bless.